and welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. Today I'm speaking to Rosemarie Rossetti, Ph.D., an internationally known speaker, trainer, consultant, author, and publisher. Rosemary's life changed in 1998 when a three and a half ton tree came crashing down on her and she was paralyzed from the waist down with a spinal cord injury. Much of Rosemary's work now focuses on teaching others how to accommodate people with various disabilities. Rosemary helps meeting planners, venues, and others understand what it means to be truly inclusive, accommodating people of various abilities and disabilities. I'd like to thank American Airlines for sponsoring today's episode. At American, diversity and inclusion are appreciated and celebrated. American values each employee's unique perspectives and provides ample opportunities for engagement in diversity of thought. Hi, Rosemarie. Thank you for getting on the phone today. Really appreciate your time to talk about accommodating people with disabilities in events. And can you just give me uh, who you are and what you do as a, as a consultant in this area? I'm a professional speaker and trainer, consultant, and writer, and my specialty is inclusive design for meetings and events. I speak at many of the MPI events around the country. I also write articles, and I'm delighted to be here to share my personal insight as a a woman with a disability. I use a wheelchair. I have a spinal cord injury and have used this wheelchair for 21 years. So, Lauren, I have a a unique advantage in that I have been speaking professionally um, since 1997. I acquired my injury in 98. So when I travel Mm -hmm. and speak on stages, I know what it's like to be a speaker in a wheelchair and how to be best accommodated and included. I also know from going to the conferences what it's like for me being a participant. So I've got the best of both worlds, having the experience of being a speaker on the stages as well as a participant at meetings and events. And that's so valuable for our audience because we don't know what we don't know. And, you know, one of the um, points that you've made in the past is that the biggest barrier to holding inclusive events is our own gap in knowledge. I mean, can you just briefly address where the biggest omissions tend to be as an attendee of an event for you? Well, that that was um, validated by the MPI research that was done by their foundation. That report came out May 7th of this year. And um, the gap in knowledge and information was really the biggest barrier to planning inclusive event experiences where um, you just have an unconscious bias. Um, You don't understand the need for access and sight lines and that disabilities come in all different types, not just mobility, but intellectual and hearing and seeing 
and how to um, begin that conversation early on in the registration to find out who your attendees will be and who are your participants and will they need some additional accommodations to to have them fully participate. Right. And I do see that in some registration um, processes, but not all. What is the best way to, to word that question when somebody is registering for an event so that you understand what their needs are? There are a lot of ways to ask that question. One could be, tell us what you need to fully participate. That's a very simple way to ask the question on registration. Another is please indicate any special physical or accessibility needs. That's another simple sentence. Or a third one, do you need accommodations or considerations due to a disability or special need? If yes, what do you need? So right. those are some examples of how you can ask that question in the, in the original registration material. When you ask that question, say, I don't know whether there's a statistic, but at, if it's 100 registrants, would you expect a handful? Would you expect more? I guess, it, I guess that varies per group, but you would at least expect some. Well, it, it may be none. It depends on the size right. of your group and the uh, makeup of the group. If it's a group of disabled veterans, you're going right, to have 100% of them reply back that they're possibly in wheelchairs or amputees or use walkers or use scooters or electric wheelchairs because of their disability or they have a um, a brain injury or uh, some other type of a disability as a result of being a disabled veteran. When you see that somebody has specific needs, do you recommend that someone from the organization always call that person to make sure that they understand, or does that d depend on what they indicate their needs are? I would call every one of them and right. uh, find out more specific about their needs, get more details regarding their disability, what limitations or special services will be needed. For example, will they need accessible transportation? Will they need some translation service, an interpreter service? Will they have enough accessible parking based on the number of people that are coming and, and the venue? Are they equipped to have that many people needing accessible parking? So these are going to be considerations to put on your planning team and with your venue to let them know who's coming and right. the space may need to be set up for them. Going back to what, as an example, what your needs would be to an to attend an event as a person who uses a wheelchair, what would you say at the minimum to an event planner that they need to consider to accommodate you? As a speaker or as a participant? Let's say as a participant. As a participant, we have to identify what the location is and if it is a location that I'm comfortable with, I won't have to ask a lot of questions if I'm driving versus if I'm flying. So let's take it that I'm flying to an event, a city that I've not been to before. Flying independently, I have a manual wheelchair. I need to know when I get to the airport, will there be some baggage handlers available? I'll need to know if there aren't any, how to transport my baggage. If they're hiring um, a special transportation service for me, I need to know where to find them. 
or to find the public transportation in terms of cabs or vans. Because I am in a wheelchair, a lot of people think I need a special van or lift system, but fortunately I can transfer into any cab and okay. have them transport my baggage. When I go to an overnight lodging facility, then I need to make sure that I have told that facility in advance what my needs are for the accessible hotel room. And one of the things that I've seen in the presentation that you gave at MPI is consideration when you're in the venue itself down to how are the restrooms set up and how even does the door open or close. I think you're starting to understand, Lauren, if you position right. yourself in a wheelchair, imagine what that's like. And it's a different experience if you're in a scooter. For me, I'm in a manual wheelchair, and so I have enough shoulder and arm strength usually to open the doors, usually. But I have mm -hmm. found many of the women's restroom doors are so tightly sprung that I need someone else to open the door for me because they're just impossible from a seated position to push that thing open. So mm -hmm. I'd love to see more restrooms putting in the electricity and the buttons to open the door from the outside as well as from the inside. And that's especially needed if someone's in a scooter. Because if you can imagine sitting in a scooter, how are you possibly going to open a door? Um, right. You're just not going to be able to reach that handle to do that. So uh, take a look, meeting planners, to see what these public accessible restrooms are labeled and then take a look to see if electric has been provided on the inside and outside. And if not, at least take a look at the width of those doors, the type of lever handles, and how hard they are to open. I love the idea of doing a site inspection in a wheelchair or a scooter, you know, and especially if you're a salesperson or representative of a venue, to go through your own property in a wheelchair as if you were experiencing an event in order to see where the trouble areas might be. I definitely recommend it, but if this is not something you've used for a while, please have someone with you as a safety right. standby. <laughs> if you're in a wheelchair for the first time, I don't want you doing that on your own. You need a standby assist to help you. Mm -hmm. um, and some specific things to look at in that restroom. There may be an accessible stall in there, but look at the swing on that door. Does that door swing inside the stall? Therefore, it might be creating a space problem in that once you get in, you can't close the door. Right. And I have Does found that, that happen time often? and time again. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So then I have to figure out somebody's got to get my wheelchair out of here so that I can close the door, and they've got to stay with my wheelchair so they can bring it back to me when I'm finished. Um, it, it's very um, not inclusive and very embarrassing for me to ask a stranger, I right. can't use this accessible stall. Would you please help me take the wheelchair out? I'll need it when I get done. Would you please wait a few minutes and bring it back in? Yeah, because once you imagine yourself with those limitations or different abilities, things become more obvious when you're looking at an, an event or a space. One of the considerations would be table height and buffet height or the height of a table where you're registering, just checking in. What would you advise planners uh, regarding that? 
Yes, it's the countertops I prefer are 30 inches, which is a standard table height. And so the first line would be the um, hotel itself, if you're registering at a hotel or a conference center, to possibly have, if they don't have a, a lower counter, to put some training into the hands of those who are registering people to come out behind the counter if that right. counter is going to be too high. Um, they don't have to modify the counter and all the uh, expense there. At least come out from behind the counter. Maybe have a clipboard if there is a document they need to sign and do the registration right in front of them if there is no lower counter. So that would be one recommendation. And is that, and another consideration would be just the setup in in meeting rooms, um, you know, having chairs removed like they would have in a movie theater, perhaps, you know, where there's places where a wheelchair can just pull in and very naturally join the group. Do you have any advice regarding those type of accommodations in terms of meeting room setup? That's a good analogy. I think many people have gone to movie theaters and have noticed how they'll have some spaces up front without seats. So mm -hmm. the guest who doesn't prefer to transfer into the movie theater seat can just stay in their original uh, mobility device. So that's an option. So uh, when you're looking at not segregating any of the people right. who use mobility devices, we don't want the back table is reserved for you. We want to have the ability for them to make that selection if they want to sit in the front, if they want to sit in the middle, if they want to sit in the back. Um, generally, they'll be on an aisle somewhere. So remove a couple of chairs in those aisles on those general sessions and breakout rooms or if you're using round tables and let right. the participants know that these tables have been reserved and they can bring someone else to sit with them at these tables. Let's talk about the language we use, even as planners, in speaking to you about what your needs are. Um, can you explain what people-first language means? It is a concept of thinking about the person that is inflicted in some way with this disability. So it's a disability that they have acquired either um, throughout life or at birth. And um, it's not something that gives them a label that they right. are an inflicted person. They have a disability. So in my case, I have what is known as a um, paraplegia. I have been disabled from the waist down for, due to a spinal cord injury. So I'm a person that has paraplegia. I am not a paraplegic. The language is better if you just say I have paraplegia. So um, another one that, that that typically is said is people look at me or write about me and they go, oh, Rosemary's wheelchair bound. And I think that's a funny illustration. If you could picture a person sitting in a wheelchair that's tied up with rope, right. that's a wheelchair bound <laughs> person. My wheelchair is my independence. It's my work vehicle. That's how I get around. So. I know that some of you have used the term that that person's going to be coming to our conference and they're wheelchair bound. Try not to say that. Try saying we have some people who are coming to the conference who use wheelchairs or who use right. walkers or who use a scooter. And I guess a good way to think of it is you're, you are not defined by your disability. That That's right. You know, you want to speak of, about it as 
an accommodation that you need and you are a person and a and and hope hope to be a full participant in the event with minimal limitations and and I think that that's the role of the meeting professional would you say that that's a good way to Yes, describe that's, a, that's an excellent, excellent suggestion. And in other words, we call it people with disabilities, um, and we don't call them they're disabled or handicapped. It's better right. to just say they're people with disabilities. Right. And what, um, what, how would you describe the universal design approach for the hospitality industry? What does that mean? Well, universal design has been around as a term. Um, since the mid-1980s, and I use it in my home. I have the top-rated universal design home in North America, the Universal Design Living Laboratory, and we can make the um, the leap from universal design homes and universal design appliances and products to a design and a framework of creating the uh, to the greatest extent possible that all people, regardless of their age, regardless of their size, regardless of their ability or their disability, can um, be able to be usable by all people. And that's the whole concept of universal design, is usable by all people. Right. And so many of the universal design features that that I'm going to be recommending are wonderful for those people with disabilities, but other people benefit too. That's something going forward that designers and architects in the hospitality industry might want to consider when they're just starting from scratch. Like, how can we build this space so that it's all accommodating? ADA compliance is one thing. That's 29-year-old government requirements for facilities in, in how to accommodate. But that does not mean that all of your needs are being met. Can you address what ADA compliance does and does not cover? Well, ADA, as you said correctly, has been here since 1990, and it really is the minimum standard. Universal design goes way beyond that. And so as we look at the design of public spaces, they are supposed to be compliant with the Americans with Disabilities Act in all regards, in terms of the circular turning spaces, the approach onto the toilet, the positioning of grab bars, the diameter of grab bars, the door sizes, the hallway widths, the entrances to the facilities need to be step-free. So mm -hmm. we recognize that the Americans with Disabilities Act has really leveled the playing field for people in this country to participate fully. But then you go into the realization of each and every facility and establishment. So not every restaurant is going to have every consideration because they'll say this was an old building and we mm -hmm. haven't done any modifications, and it's going to be a hardship to remodel the whole place. So we're sorry people in wheelchairs are going to have to be lifted in because there is a step to get into our restaurant. So there lies the problem for event planners, especially if you've got off-site locations. You need to do your due diligence right. and go to these off-site locations from the beginning, from the parking lot on, to find out what it's going to be like getting out of a vehicle, getting into the facility, 
going into the dining facility, using the restroom, using an elevator, because not every facility is going to have every feature that the ADA has specified. And I understand that Canada is or is poised to enact the Accessible Canada Act. And is that similar to the ADA? They did. They oh, they did. did. Right after my, my presentation the next week, it was enacted. It is the first federal law in Canada, Accessible Canada. And we'll see if they exceed what we've done here in this country. But they're in the beginning stages of deciding what the country will do. In the past, the provinces have their, their own accessibility laws, but the country just in June passed their first national law for accessibility. Another factor is treating all people with respect and making sure that all of your attendees feel comfortable and accommodated without necessarily being called out in an undue way. One of your examples was that someone said, do you want to, do you want to park your chair right here in the hallway to the, you know, to the, to the meeting room? And you said, no, I would not like to be sitting in the corridor. Any other advice for planners or venues on just small ways to be more respectful and considerate? Well, training your um, your planning committee and all your volunteers, oftentimes volunteers or the catering staff can be trained as to how to help people with disabilities, especially in serving food or transporting them from one location in the convention center to another. Um, depending on the thickness of the carpet, there may be people who are going to have some difficulty rolling. And so uh -huh. the, the question can be asked, how can I assist you? And if they say, please help me, I can't push anymore, I'm wore out. So somebody can help push them into the room. On the dining facility, um, have the staff on the catering department well-trained to look out for people that might need help reaching or seeing or carrying, especially carrying food on their lap or carrying any beverage or soup or stews that have any liquid, mm -hmm. they're going to need some assistance. So right. be there to stand by and support them so they don't just park themselves going, who's going to help me? I can't get right. anything. Right. We need people right there at the table where the food is being presented. And it's a better idea to have everything labeled at eye level to a seated position so that mm -hmm. people who are seated know what the ingredients are and to have things at lower tables like a 30 inch so that they're mm -hmm. accessible and not too deep. And that right. way the person can put food in their own plate if they're able or um, make the the verbal uh, clue to the person that's helping. Yes, I would like a spoon of mashed potatoes. No, I would not like any lasagna. The less intrusive and the more comfortable and natural the setup is so that everyone can participate equally, um, that would be the ideal. That's right. Yeah. And what resources would you recommend, um, you know, for meeting planners who want, you know, checklists or... Yeah. Planforinclusion.com. Um, okay. And that is a free eight-page document with five meeting professional musts to include people with disabilities. So it's a free download PDF. 
You can go there instantly. Just planforinclusion.com. I put that together um, with the intent of at least giving some of the meeting planners some place to to think about the registration and the questions to ask um, and setting up for the actual meeting or event. So that's one. I also have um, a couple others to recommend to you on my website, which is okay. rosemariespeaks.com. So anybody that goes to rosemariespeaks.com, there's a section there in the upper menu bar that says solutions and training. And under that says inclusive meetings and events. So as they click on solutions and training and inclusive meetings and events, voila. And obviously you're also available as a speaker for planners whose events might benefit from having an educational session for their audiences on accommodating um, people's needs in any situation. Yes, I am very much available. I travel um, throughout North America and be happy to travel abroad also. Be happy to accommodate anyone with an educational training need or consulting need. I also work with the hospitality industry to help evaluate some of their facilities and give them some ideas either from the post-construction, the remodeling, or the initial design phase. If we can all be more aware of of these, you know, whether the, the little details, like which way does the restroom door open to the bigger picture, just asking the right questions to accommodate all attendees um, as equally as possible, I think that's a great service to the meetings industry. And I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for your forthright advice. I appreciate it. Hope to see you again at an event soon. Thanks, Lauren. It's been my pleasure. Thanks again to American Airlines for sponsoring this important episode on diversity and inclusion. Be sure to rate and review us and check back for new episodes soon.